I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. And this is the Tribbles and Transporters podcast. is my way of saying I haven't the foggiest clue. <laughs> um, well, after going easy on you the past three weeks. Yeah, exactly. Um, especially with the one where you only had me, you know, guess the series. <laughs> um, I would hazard a guess that it's not original series this week. That, um, that's right, yeah. But that doesn't narrow it down very much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh. Something makes me want to say that it's either TNG or DS9. But see, there's all that Enterprise and Discovery music that I have no clue about. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, to be fair, I kind of have no clue about it either. Um as a matter of fact, I haven't even really seen any Enterprise soundtracks on iTunes. So, oh, interesting. They may exist, but they're not in the yeah. forefront. Um, so, so that's my clue to you that it's not Enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah that that would make sense. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll just yeah. say it's not Discovery either. So don't yeah. don't worry about those. Yeah. Um, something's making me want to say Deep Space Nine, but I have a feeling that's not correct. Go with your gut feeling. Really? Mm -hmm. Other than that, I don't think I can, uh, can, I can't narrow it down to an episode or, or even well, a season. It's not an episode. It's not an episode. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, is it from a movie then? Well, those are your two choices. Um, That's true. So it's from a movie. <laughs> so if it's not an episode, hey, it's from a movie. <laughs> um, in that case, it I would, I would guess it's more from a next gen, um, movie than a original series movie. There are other movies too, but don't let me throw you off track. <laughs> other. Okay, I'm confused. Well, when you say original series movies, what are you talking about? I mean, like, Star Trek's one through six. Okay. So there's those, and there's TNG, and there are other movies. Really? It's but from don't one let of... me throw it's you off track. It's from one of the newer movies? Because I have... throw you off track. Uh. <laughs> I'm trying to confuse you as much as possible right now. <laughs> well, yeah, you're you're succeeding in a spectacular fashion. Um, I'll just say go with your your initial gut on this. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, to go to say it's a TNG movie, 
Um, I was going to say, I'm like, I'm pretty familiar with the new Star Trek soundtracks. Um, yeah, as you alluded to a couple of episodes <laughs> yeah. back. Yeah, and e- even the the instrumental stuff, I I feel like I would have an inkling that it belonged to there. So I'm thinking it's it's probably from a a next gen movie, and something's making me want to say First Contact, um, but I have no basis for that. I'm actually really impressed right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you went from episode with- to first contact within about three or four about three minutes here so that's that's good that's good yay do you have any idea what part of first contact though oh or is that a, um, that's a stupid question because you probably don't it's been a long time since i've watched first contact um you know, I do remember a lot of really cool dramatic music when the Borg were on the Enterprise and stuff like that. So it's it's possible it's related to that, but I'm not positive. Yeah, well, that's most of the uh, movie. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it's actually a, it's a track called um, 39.1 degrees Celsius. Oh, okay. I don't know Interesting. if you remember that from the movie. I barely I don't. remember it. I actually, I mean, I, I remember Data saying that line, um, 39.1 degrees Celsius, as they were, like, scanning something. Mm. It had, I think that's the um, temperature of the Borg ship. Oh, okay. Um, so it must have been when they first encountered the okay, uh, Borg yeah. ship in that movie, and they were scanning it and stuff. Hmm. So. Yeah, that's awful. I didn't, never pictured Borg ships as being warm. Well, when I looked up the temperature, everybody was saying that they were like, "It's hmm. a, they're all about technology, and usually technology oh, needs a cooler room." But um, I don't know. I don't know whether that strange. You know, it ge- generates, or, or maybe Borg technology because it's you know implanted and and cybernetic and everything. Maybe it runs warmer. You know, it's yeah, it's designed um, to work with body heat or something. Yeah, it's well. That's well for humans. Um, mm. It's a little high for human body heat. I mean, I don't know yeah. about other species. Uh, what's eighty nine? What's the human body temperature in Celsius? You're asking me a math question. <laughs> no, I suppose it's a biology. Can- you're from per- Canada. <laughs> Aren't you guys but doing I- things in Celsius? We do, but it's. I grew up in the generation that's that wasn't fully metric, so um, I do a lot of things like that in uh, in Fahrenheit. So oh, um, you grew well. I okay. I was under the impression <laughs> that you guys were like the UK, where you did everything in. Well, we the do, UK isn't is. Does UK do? No, they don't do Fahrenheit. Well, see, they're weird too because they they're part of. You know they do, they do the imperial like, system too, don't yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. So, but the, the you know, Fahrenheit's not imperial system. That imperial system is like measurement, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's all kind of weird. I mean, we we measure you know our distances and kilometers and and all that kind of stuff. But you know, I would tell you my height in in feet and inches. Um, and, you know, temperature outside, I would tell you in Celsius. Um, so it's, it's a weird mixture. At least my generation is now they're starting to, um, do more things like people tell 
their height in centimeters and their weight in kilograms and things like that. So it's mm-hmm. kind of starting to, to shift over. Um, but yeah, but that's why I say, you know, 39, that's kind of warm because I'm used to that as, as an outdoor temperature during the summer. Well, what, okay. Well, what's, um, what's an outdoor temperature of 98 degrees Fahrenheit? What's that in Celsius? Um, that would be in the forties, I think. I'm probably going to get a lot of people going. You really don't know math, do you? <laughs> um, it's but, really uh, not that important. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'm just curious about what what the body temperature would be of humans in um, Celsius. Yeah, and how that related to thirty nine point one. Um, thirty nine point one. If it's a hundred, I think somebody said it was like a hundred and four degrees Fahrenheit. So, um, the human body temperature is 98. So I would think that it would be a little less than 39. Yeah. Um, Okay. According to Google, it's 37. Okay. So 39 is even warm for, um, for human body temperature. Well, I mean, they must be, uh, I I don't know. Does Star Trek ever go into the body temperature of Klingons and Romulans and stuff like that or... I don't, I don't think so. If it does, um, it's probably on like some medical tricorder while someone's scanning. And, you know, if you have a good enough recording software or whatever, you can zoom in on it and read, it. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to go through that much trouble. No, me neither. <laughs> um, okay. Well, but if you do let us know, <laughs> I'm sure somebody somewhere has done that. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure the information is probably out there somewhere. Yeah, maybe we'll um, look up the body temperatures of aliens when we could do that episode <laughs> <laughs> about aliens or whatever. Uh, Although I've never seen biology. like a Klingon. Yeah, I've I've never seen a Klingon Borg. All the Borg are strangely like very human or mm. um, very similar to humans. I yeah. feel like we haven't seen any like super crazy alien Borg species. Yeah, that's I, I, I'm sure that's largely logistical <laughs> of, uh, yeah. you know, we're already putting a boatload of makeup on this actor. Let's not add too much more to it. <laughs> Can you imagine putting Borg uh, makeup on a Klingon? Try putting Borg makeup on a Ferengi. <laughs> they're both they're both be they would both be equally bad i think yeah um, all that head makeup oh wow yeah it's it's always astounds me all these actors that had to spend hours in the makeup chair you know and it's one thing to do it for a movie where you know you're shooting x number of scenes but you know these recurring characters who literally like you know it was their day job they just went there they got you know makeup put on for two hours and then they went on set you know it's yeah crazy and they have to get there at four o'clock in the morning to do that yep exactly yeah, yeah. uh it's crazy uh i mean i've had experience uh being on a couple of shows uh notably mad men mm-hmm. um where i had like the makeup trailer experience um yeah you know, and Mad Men's a period show, so you. I was gonna say, to, at um, least you were just a person. <laughs> I was, I was, but um, I mean, I was in the makeup trailer for maybe half an hour while they did my makeup because I had to, mm. I had to look like from I was a 
like a, a roadie from the 60s or something like that okay um so i had like special wardrobe and a special mm. look that they were trying to make me um up as but anyway so i can't imagine um having to sit there for like two or three hours while they do that yeah that would be that would i would go crazy if they yeah. did that I, i've i've always wanted to do it once though I've always thought it would be really cool to to have that experience, you know, and get made up and like see yourself as this crazy character. But I I don't think I'd want to do it a lot. <laughs> I have absolutely no no desire to be made up into an alien. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I feel like. Um, I feel like Brent Spiner might have had it worse though than than maybe anybody else because can mm. you imagine wearing body paint all day? Oh yeah, That's... and I mean all the way down on like at you least for the really... most part it was his face and hands, but then the episodes when you know it was more than that, it was, and then the contact lenses and all of that stuff. Yeah, that'd be intense. I mean, you can't really touch much if your hands are painted up like that. It's nope. Yeah, I'm, and I'm sure there was touch-ups all day long. You know, especially like you say on his hands, where you know he had to interact with things. Um. So yeah, that must have been crazy. I don't know. They they all probably had their bad. I mean, I can't imagine what, what happens if you're like wearing Klingon makeup or something and you get like an itch on mm-hmm. your forehead <laughs> like mm-hmm. how do you deal with that nope that would that would suck yeah. so. i i just have an image in my mind of um from one of the behind the scenes clips from the newer movies there's a a, a character who you know is on screen briefly and uh, he just has this really exaggerated jaw so basically the the character's mouth sits below the actor's mouth and you know there's this image of him trying to drink something with a straw and so he's like trying to thread the straw up (laughs) through the fake mouth to his real mouth uh yeah (laughs) was this a background actor or did he have lines um he did not have lines but um he was front and center in well yeah but he's a background actor though yes um yeah i can't imagine um because I've done the background acting and it's, mm-hmm. um, it's, I can imagine having to be in that situation doing it. So. <laughs> oh dear. But I tell you what, Star Trek would be a fun show to do background acting on. Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure it's, it's a dream for a lot of Trekkies to, you know, just, just put me in the crowd, you know, just, I just want to be in the background, just, you know. Maybe I should try that. I mean, now that they have all the, they have uh, the, um, like the With, Picard show and stuff, mm-hmm. and Discovery. Maybe I should. Um, there you go. Try that. It's been a while since I've done it, so maybe I should put my name <laughs> back in the hat again and see if I can get on one yep. of those shows. There you go. Who knows? You might be in the makeup chair for three hours. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have said that. You can tell from the descriptions that they, if if there are descriptions, of, you know, they need people to be aliens or. Yeah. Whatever. Although I don't, I've never seen that actually in any mm. of the descriptions, but um, that doesn't, I don't check them very often. <laughs> so, yeah. And I'm sure it's not so bad if you're, 
you know, one of the, the alien species that, you know, maybe you're Bajoran and you just have, you know, a little bit of one little prosthetic on your nose or, or something like that. that yeah. Or a trill or something like yeah. that. I, you know, I wouldn't mind sitting there for an hour yeah. while they painted my face, but you know, yeah. yeah. Anything that's super heavy though. That would. Yeah. I fun. actually chose one, one year. Um, I painted trill spots on myself for, uh, for Halloween. Um, so it was actually kind of fun, but, uh, obviously mine Did anybody know look- who you were? Yeah. I had a few people say, Hey, you're from Star Trek. Um, there's <laughs> only a couple, I think they got that more from the clothes than, <laughs> than oh, from okay. the, uh, the makeup, but, uh, were you dressed yeah. up like Dax or something? Um, no, I had more of an original series uniform on, um, mm. since that's really easy to just go and get a, you know, a blue V neck long sleeve shirt black mock neck and some black pants (laughs) okay yeah so all right well now that we've gone way off track (laughs) yeah exactly we've rambled a little bit (laughs) so what are we talking about today give you a little variety Um, yeah uh we we are what are we talking we're talking about how starfleet works um So we're going back into our how the um, the Star Trek universe is kind of laid out series. <laughs> the series yeah, with the, first the worst was... title in podcasting. Well, we're uh, it's the Star Trek universe series is what it is, and the yeah. first um, episode we did had to do with the uh, geography of the uh, Milky Way galaxy, basically, which is. Um, where Star Trek takes place. And um, that is episode six, I believe. Um, so go back and take a listen to that if you are at all interested in kind of the layout of the Star Trek universe and um, where all the aliens are and just kind of where stuff takes place. Um, we have links to maps and, and all of that stuff in the show notes as well. Um but uh and in this series is going to be like i don't know six episodes or something like that um so this is going to be the second episode and and uh we just thought that naturally the next thing to talk about would be the biggest part of star trek which is starfleet and right. and by way of that also starfleet academy because mm-hmm. um, that kind of ties in as well um i'll just say that <laughs> doing our research on this there's not a lot of like official information out there yeah so um we are extrapolating stuff um that's been compiled online um we're not yeah. actually extrapolating anything ourselves we are oh, um yeah. <laughs> totally extrapolating relying. from the compilations online <laughs> yeah. of, of um all this stuff so totally relying on the people who you know said oh in this episode of tng and this episode of deep space nine they referenced this um so you know and and there are some things that you know i could not have told you where it came from but i somehow either knew it or supposed it was this way um so it it was nice to have a little bit of confirmation of some of the things that uh, 
I was thinking about the way the Starfleet works um, and also to get, you know, a few extra details. And uh, so we're just going to talk about, you know, basically what is Starfleet, um, what's up with ranks and uniforms and, you know, what's the purpose of Starfleet, how do people get into it, all of that sort of thing. And if you're new to Star Trek, um, this will kind of help introduce you to the concept of um, the shows. And um, I think it's it is really interesting to me um, that Star Trek is pretty much just about Starfleet. Right. And um, I, the new Picard show, I think, is going to deviate from that a little bit. We're going to see a lot more of the civilian side of things in that. Mm. Um, I've been told that we get a lot of civilian, um, stuff also in Deep Space Nine, Mm -hmm. uh, which I understand because they're on a space station, which isn't a ship. So they have a lot of civilians coming and going and I understand that aspect of it, but it's still very Starfleet centric. Um, It is. Yeah. I mean, the, the vast majority of the main characters are Starfleet, um, where you get some, some differences there are the, um, the Bajoran characters, um, Quark and, and characters like that. So, um, yeah, you do get some more, um, civilian interaction. Um, and also, you know, with Jake Sisko and Cassidy Yates and, and all that sort of family side of things, Keiko O'Brien and, and you'd get a little bit more that way. So, um, it does sort of delve into it. Yeah, but, uh, you know, Star Star Trek, though, the universe of Star Trek is um, huge, and it's, it's there's a lot more to it than just Starfleet. So I, I think it's, I mean, this may be a moot point, but I'm just, I think it's interesting that all of the shows um, focus on Starfleet, and right. they don't really um, focus much on the civilian aspect of the Star Trek universe. Mm. Um, and that's kind of what I was, I was, when the Picard show came up again and they were hinting that he's not a Starfleet officer anymore, I was like, well, okay, are they going to actually create a Star Trek show that doesn't have anything to do with Starfleet? You know, yeah. is this going to be the, a first, a first for Star Trek? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's going to, I, obviously there's going to be, uh, from the trailer, we see Starfleet stuff, but. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, there's going to be some reference to it there's i'm sure there's going to be plenty of interaction between picard and his cast of characters around him with other starfleet um i want to say entities but you know um different people in starfleet or you know they'll they'll come across different ships and all this kind of stuff i'm sure right but uh you know so so something went through gene roddenberry's mind when he was creating star trek it was like what Mm. kind of what kind of sci-fi show is this going to be you know is it um i mean there's a lot of sci-fi out there that has nothing to do with like military and and that type of stuff you know so he chose to make this uh more of a military style show um right we're going to talk about starfleet's not a military exactly but Mm -hmm. um but it definitely i mean you have ships and you have ranks and uh, missions and you know all of that stuff so it's very much in that style yeah so and i did read one little thing about that 
in a sense, um, where Roddenberry was essentially thinking of each of the characters on the ships as qualified astronauts. So he was equating um, their roles with um, today's astronauts who, you know, are for the for the most part are military officers who have, you know, gone into this very specific um, training sector. Um, so essentially that that's why everybody on the ships, um, especially in the, um, the original series, everyone's an officer. Um, and you've, you know, they've gone through the academy and that sort of thing. Um, so that was the original intent uh, from what mm. I read. Okay. Well, that would uh, explain, cause we were talking about um, O'Brien cause, cause there, there, there are apparently enlisted people yes. in Starfleet, but uh, we were talking about how O'Brien is really the only um, example of that that comes to mind. Um, yeah. Certainly let, the let only main character. Yeah. Uh, like Aaron and I haven't seen every single episode of Star Trek. So, I mean, there might be examples that pop up other, you know, elsewhere of enlisted. Um, I keep wanting, wanting to say enlisted officers, but that's not yeah. right. Um, <laughs> enlisted personnel. There you go. Uh, or crew members or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I mean, let us know, guys, if um, O'Brien, if there are other enlisted uh, personnel that show up in Star Trek other than O'Brien, but he's, he's literally the, the only one, which is, which is really, really weird because in the real military, it's the opposite. You know, yes. there are way more enlisted people than there are officers. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's really interesting to me. Yeah. And some of what I read, you know, it has to do with the, the way that Starfleet formed, you know, it was largely made up of the, Earth's space agencies, um, you know, all being kind of combined into one when the, the government united of the whole Earth, then all of the different countries kind of pooled their space resources. Um, and, you know, so NASA joined with all the other um, agencies. And um, that's kind of where the whole exploration sort of thrust of it came. Um, so it was really focused on um, exploring and expanding Earth's knowledge and technology for going to space and all of that sort of thing. And um, from the little bit that I read, people who are, are fans of Enterprise will know this better than, than most of us. Um, you know, there's um, bits and pieces in there about uh, the ships were completely non-military um, and then as they started venturing into potentially dangerous regions of space and things like that, they started um, attaching military units to the ships um, at the captain's discretion. Um, and so that's kind of where that, that conjunction comes in. Um, and then of course, uh, eventually Starfleet when, when the Federation was, was formed and everything, you know, that was largely a defensive pact against the Romulans. Um, so there, there was a little bit of a, a military leaning that way as a defensive force. Um, so yeah, it was interesting to, to delve into how Starfleet got started. Um, and then, you know, that information from Gene Roddenberry himself, where, 
you know, that's why there's so few enlisted um, members. Although um, apparently in the the original series movies, um, you know, there was some costume design for some enlisted um, personnel and things like that. Um, I will apologize if you guys are hearing weird noises. Ty is uh, making his presence known um, kind of appropriately while we're talking about original series type <laughs> things. We have James, James Tiberius Cat with us um, and he is Ty's wearing eye. he is wearing his little uh, Starfleet insignia. So yeah. we're going to have to put up a picture of Ty on we will social media so people yes. know what he looks like <laughs> um, yeah all of that stuff about um the space agencies coming together i i didn't know any of this mm. um until researching it because i and, and this explains why starfleet is so human centric yes as well um because i always wondered about that mm -hmm. and uh and why everything's headquartered on earth um yeah, uh, so Starfleet was basically founded in 2131, I think. So to, just to give the timeline out there. Yeah, so and, before the Federation. Um, yeah, it was about 30 years before the Federation. Mm -hmm. And um, and then um, what you were talking about with the uh, Enterprise, the very first Enterprise, the NX-01. So Starfleet basically up until they created the first enterprise basically were relying on the Vulcans mm. um, from what I gather for a lot of the um, knowledge about the uh, galaxy and stuff like star charts and stuff like that because they hadn't done their own exploration yet and so they needed something that was going to be um, more long term that could go further um, that could basically Com not compete with the Vulcans, but be on par with them. And um, so they created the NX program, which is where the show Enterprise um, kind of comes from. So uh, the first Enterprise, the NX-01, was the first Warp 5 capable um, space starship, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, so and yeah, and so Starfleet had a very exploration minded and diplomacy minded um focus, I guess, until the Romulans and the Klingons and so forth started becoming problems and then they kind of adapted a, a military aspect as well. So Starfleet is primarily an exploration and scientific organization is not supposed to be a military um, per se, but obviously it has military aspects to it. Mm. Um, it's, or it's structured like a military. I'll say yeah, that. For sure. Um, and I thought that was, it was interesting. I, I was wondering, well, why did, um, first of all, why is Starfleet headquartered in San Francisco? And then also why did they, model it after the navy and not you know the air force or something like that mm. and um gene roddenberry apparently chose san francisco because that's where the united nations charter was signed and okay also because of the um i guess progressive values of the of the uh, city and 
um, the Silicon Valley aspects where that's where SpaceX is and, and okay. a lot of the aerospace industry is up there and stuff too. So I think he felt maybe in the future that would be kind of where all of that stuff is concentrated. So um, certainly, but, but yeah, um, but the, the Federation um, headquarters is in Paris. Yes. So um and I think it's interesting they made Earth the headquarters for all of that instead of like Vulcan or something. Yeah. Um so I I wonder if that just had more to do with the personality of the different races, whereas you know, the humans are a lot more interested in in stepping forward and being the ones to kind of um you know rally people and uh, also kind of lean on what they have whereas the the Vulcans are are a lot more reserved in a lot of ways um so it it may have something to do with that well i think um somebody mentioned that it was because the hu- humans were instrumental in bringing together the Andorians and the Tellerites and the Vulcans all together into that United Federation mm. um, and so forth. And I think the treaty for, or I don't know if it's a treaty, but whatever the founding document was for the Federation was signed on earth. Oh, okay. Um, maybe in San Francisco. Um, so I guess that's why everything's placed there. Um, yeah. And the Navy um from what i gather you know gene roddenberry was in the army air corps in okay. world war ii um which turned into the air force later so he wasn't in the navy but he was stationed apparently in san diego um or came and went a lot in san diego which is which is where the um the navy used to have a bunch of shipyards yeah and i was say very navy centric yeah yeah uh, not used to they still do actually um, yeah <laughs> uh, I was thinking about um, Long Beach here in LA um, mm. used to have a Navy base and they closed that but um, my grandfather actually was stationed at both San Diego and Long Beach oh wow um, in the Navy that's um, cool in the Korean War I believe so um, anyway so he had Gene Roddenberry had exposure to mm. the Navy and um so i guess and of course if you're doing starships i guess it makes sense to model yeah. after ships and in the navy and stuff so yeah i guess if you yeah it, it you could go either way there like you say with possibly the air force um but you know um i'm often reminded with uh having studied um my schooling in pensacola florida which is um you know the base for a lot of the uh, naval air forces, um, yeah, you know, the, there's that crossover there too. Yeah, I have a friend that uh, went to the Naval Academy, and he was stationed in Florida for a few years while he mm. did flight training. So yeah, that's that's a big deal down there. Yeah, um, I guess that kind of explains. I, I just that's what I got the most out of out of this research was the kind of the history of Starfleet because I just had no concept yeah. of that. I was just like, oh, okay, it's Starfleet, yeah. it, it exists, and I didn't really think about it. And that would be um, one neat reason to um, start watching Enterprise is to get a lot of that background. 
Yeah, apparently there's a lot of, I don't know, I don't know how many episodes, but they do episodes about kind of the history or the, the beginning of everything mm. um, there. I know the last episode of Enterprise talked about the formation of the Federation. They, they like had that ceremony or something mm-hmm. um, in the last episode. Oh, cool. So, yeah, we'll have to go back <laughs> Oh, for sure. I've literally only seen two episodes of Enterprise, so. <laughs> and like I say, you're two ahead of me, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so since we mentioned that the vast majority of um, people on the starships in Star Trek are um, commissioned officers, um, do you want to fill us in a little bit on the Academy, which I know you read up on? Yeah, well, first of all, the idea that all or nearly all Starfleet officers are commissioned officers hmm. seems really, really unrealistic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, considering how large the Federation is and how many ships there are, I mean, uh, we probably should have looked up how many <laughs> starships there supposedly are in um, in Starfleet. Yeah, I, I don't know if they say or not. Um I want to say I saw somewhere like 7,000 or something like that, but Whoa, I, I, no, no. I can't, can't remember. That's way high. I know. Uh, that's no why way. I'm second guessing myself on that. I did see that number somewhere, but maybe that was well, like the number there, of- There, <laughs> there were 7,000 affiliated races in the Federation. Uh, maybe that's- That might've been thinking. it. There's no way there's 7,000. <laughs> uh, yeah. That, I mean, as I was saying it, I was like, that's a- really large number <laughs> all right you know what i'm gonna um you can hear me typing everybody <laughs> i'm looking this up right now how many <laughs> how many ships are in starfleet because none of none of the stuff that we saw had that mm. um uh but we're gonna get a bunch of people just guessing um yeah. at this because i don't think there is a, there's not official information out yeah. there for this I did see a little something like the reason I'm I'm mentioning that I saw a number is because I did read a thing on starships themselves um and it talked about the you know the the prominent um starships you know seen in the the different series and and all that sort of stuff um so yeah it <laughs> Like I say, as soon as I said that number, I was like, mm, I'm not so Although sure. Although you know what? I'm on I'm on the um the most reliable um website on the internet, which is Reddit. And um <laughs> I don't know, so a lot of people in here are saying that there's like between six and nine thousand. Wow. That there there is nothing on Star Trek though that implies there are that many ships that I can Mm. I mean, that seems like a really high number to me. Yeah. I was thinking maybe a few hundred at most. Yeah. But I don't know. The United States Navy has a few hundred ships and we're just on the, <laughs> on the earth. Uh, I don't know. We're not going to get a real answer. I mean, everybody is all over the place on this. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I, uh, you know what? I will concede that there's a possibility there are 7,000. Um, I, I literally had more of 
I was way under. So I was thinking maybe like 400. Um, that was what the number that was in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I don't know because when, okay, what? I found the, um, the reference that I read um, okay. and apparently it comes from an episode in discovery, which is interesting. Um, and it says by 2257, there were 7,000 active ships in Starfleet. <laughs> now okay whether but, they're but this saying is also they're... discovery uh yeah i don't know exactly and whether they're saying they're you know ships or just vessels in general um because the the article there is talking about all kinds of different you know it's talking about shuttlecraft and all that sort of thing so if they're including oh, those well, i would that i would, would believe seven thousand with shuttlecraft but i'm talking about yeah. like actual starships yeah um like I say, you there's know, the no clarification is, as to what it's including in active the ships. The thing is, the thing is on the show when you have like the admirals come on and they're talking to the captains like over subspace and stuff, mm-hmm. and they like single out ships like the crazy horse and all of this stuff. Like there are a, a, a handful. There aren't so many ships that you wouldn't know the names of them. Yeah, you know, we know what I'm saying. Like there, they it implies that there's the fleet is small enough to where you're supposed to just know these ships, right? Right. So 7,000 seems like a a really, really, like I said, high number. I mean... Yeah. Yeah, and it it makes a difference to... You know, it is interesting that the thing that I read says active ships because it would be a lot easier to believe 7,000 if that's including you know, decommissioned ships and, you know, previous designs that are no longer in service and all that sort of thing. Um, because, you know, you have different styles that go out of service and, and you know, some ships are lost and, and all that sort of thing. So um, that would make it even yeah. easier to believe. But to say they're active ships, that's, you know, makes a, a little difference there. Um, yeah, like I say, <laughs> everything that we're drawing from is inference or, um, you know, a little blurb taken from, you know, that was from a single episode of one series mentioned that number. So, uh, you know, you there's dozens and dozens of sources for information on Star Trek and about half of them will contradict each other. <laughs> so that's just something you kind of contend with sometimes with um with star trek information well i just found the site where this guy like went through detailed analysis of wow. star trek and concluded that there are at least forty five thousand. <laughs> <laughs> oh my word i is he including, i'm not gonna read like, all of, i mean is he including the alien races that you know that we see named ships know, there's and... <laughs> way too much there's way this is way too long for me to read wow through. um yeah. uh <laughs> hmm. yeah. my mind is just exploding right now with this i <laughs> Everybody is um, had a very very different number in my head than I did. Yeah, I was I was literally just going off of the conversations that we heard on on Star Trek. It just doesn't sound like there are that many ships in the fleet the way they talk about them. I, yeah, I I, I, I would have believed easily a couple hundred. Um, I feel like two hundred is low. I I would yeah. probably 
I would say at least 400. Mm. Um, but I, I can't imagine, like, even a thousand ships seems high to me. But yeah. I, maybe I just, I, I'm just... And being stupid about this and don't have a very good grasp on <laughs> on the Star Trek universe. So um which is where you, where you guys come in, you know, that this is a conversation not just between Sarah and I, it's between us and you as well. So uh if you have information, you know, whether you're someone who's combed so many episodes that you've you've gotten a grasp of you know, just how many ships there are, or you have uh, information from some other source. Um, you know, there are lots of different uh, books and all sorts of things that that talk about um, information on Star Trek. You know, that's the kind of stuff we'd love to to hear about. Getting back to our where we started with this, <laughs> we were we were talking about um, Starfleet Academy. I guess is what we yes. were about to talk about. Uh, but then we went. We were talking about enlisted versus officers. Um, <laughs> if we're talking about seven thousand ships and most of them are officers, yeah, that's really uh, way, 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 way more unrealistic than I thought. Yeah, um, I mean, first of all, I, how are you getting that many people going through academy training or whatever? I mean, it's. To fill that many, I mean... Yeah, the the only thing I saw that kind of helped with some of that is that there are, like, satellite campuses, apparently, of the, the academy. So there are mentions of, you know, academy branches in other locations. So it's not just, you know, everybody who's in Starfleet went through, you know, San Francisco. Right, I understand that, but, I mean... So you're a random citizen of, you know, a random world in the Federation mm -hmm. and you want to be a Starfleet. You want to be in Starfleet. Yeah. So what motivates you to go through four years of Starfleet Academy training versus just enlisting? Yeah. And I I kind of wonder if that's where, you know, the the whole idea of originally having everyone be an officer, whether that was even an idea to kind of restrict a little bit the the size of Starfleet, um, you know, maybe not even necessarily a, a conscious decision, but, um, you know, it Starfleet really expands out the, the more... Uh, we the, the further we get from the original series, I mean, the the original enterprise was it was a large ship for the time but then when you see it compared to you know ships in the next generation it's tiny um and of course the you know the crew grows in size to match the ship um so obviously there was a little bit of a a, a difference in thinking when when you get into that kind of stuff um, and, uh, I think, I wonder if that's maybe why they added in the non-commissioned, um, branches, uh, to kind of, you know, make it a little bit more similar to a military structure that we're familiar with in present day. 
Well, I mean, based on human behavior and just our present time when it comes to the military, I mean, you have the option to do ROTC or go to a military academy yeah, and be an officer. But, uh, I mean, I don't know what the percentages are, but it's probably 80% of the people in the military are at least enlisted. Mm. Um, you know, because it's the easier, it's the easier path, um, to being in the military, to being in Starfleet. So I'm just, um, I mean, either Starfleet does a really good job of saying that, um, we prefer officers and, you know, you, I don't know, maybe they give you like a sweet deal or something if you go to the academy versus enlisted. <laughs> I, there's something, though, that keeps the proportions mostly officers mm. in Starfleet. Um, and I don't think there's like a quota, like regulations where right. you, they only let in a certain number of enlisted people. But mm. it's just it's just really, really strange to me that people would purposely choose to go through that academy training. Um yeah. Because I, I would think there's way more people that would rather not, you know, and just go into Starfleet, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it is interesting know. to think about it that way because, I mean, I, <laughs> in a way, did this uh, same thing that you're just talking about. You know, I, when growing up as someone who loves animals and everybody just assumes you're going to be a vet. And I was like, well, no, actually, I'm going to go be a zookeeper. Not that I'm saying, you know, I, I chose the easy path. It's certainly not an easy job or industry to get into or anything like that, but it definitely was a lot less school. Well, it's the same way in like software development and stuff, um, which I, I'm not a software developer, but I work in that field. Mm. And, um, you know, you can either go to school for four years and get become a, a computer engineer or a computer scientist, mm-hmm. um, you know, or you can just do like the uh, programming route where you just teach yourself or, or take, you know, online classes or something like that where you don't have a degree that you're going for and you gain the skills that way yeah. um, to get the job. So it's, it's the same way. And I, I think most people in the industry, the technology industry, choose not to go the degree route and they just kind of learn on their own from yeah. their own resources which is easy to do because there's so many but um that's what i'm just saying it's just human nature to <laughs> take the easier road for stuff like this yeah. i think there are there are a few people out there that want to go through that you know rigorous training mm-hmm. um but by and large that's not what most people would choose to do you know yeah um I mean, just going on our own real world examples. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I, I mean, if, if everybody in the military chose to go to the academies or, I mean, of course they are um, restricted by how many people they can train and stuff like that right. too, which Starfleet apparently isn't. Restricted. Yeah. Well, and um, I, I think the, the way that the economy in that um, era where basically earth has gotten rid of, Uh, any sort of monetary system and, you know, resources are just available and and all that sort of thing. So I wonder if that plays a role into it where, you know, it's not a matter of, uh, you know, we have to have a certain restricted number of people in the top echelons and then everybody else has to be below that. 
Um, you know, so it, it's an interesting question because, uh, yeah, we just kind of get thrown into the world of Star Trek and hear, you know, everybody's, you know, captain or commander or lieutenant or, you know, all this. And, um, you know, it isn't until later on that we get, uh, you know, chief and, and all that sort of thing popping up. Um, I do wonder a little bit if, um, it has something to do with the, the personality of the, the people that are going into this field where they're driven to be at the, the top of, um, whatever they're doing. And so they're willing to go through all that training to then be at the forefront, um, to be the person who is the science officer on a vessel rather than just, you know, saying, oh, well, I'll take any science post on a research, you know, yeah, I don't buy that. Or- <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't buy that. I, I feel like there, there would be people out there that are like, I would love to, you know, be on a starship and travel and, you know, experience all of this. The same reason people join the Navy. Yeah. Um, you know, so they can travel the world or whatever. Um, but they're not going to go to the Naval Academy for four years <laughs> to yeah. do that. They're just, they're just going to enlist, you know, yeah. and be on a ship in six months. Um, <laughs> you know, and they get all of the perks um, of that. And uh, I mean, look, if you go to a, an aircraft carrier, they have... I don't know, um, several thousand personnel on board. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's say that they have 3,000 sailors. Well, you know, at least 2,500, if not more than that, are going to be enlisted mm-hmm. people. You know, the amount of officers on a on a aircraft carrier are probably going to be very small. Yeah. So it's just it's just so backwards in the Star Trek universe <laughs> to reality. And so I just I never thought about that until today, actually. Yeah. When we were talking about the enlisted stuff, I just don't. Uh, I mean, we don't get any explanation for it. Um, we only see one. <laughs> I've only seen one enlisted officer or um, enlisted personnel in Star Trek. Yeah. And um I don't know, that's what I'm saying. Like maybe Starfleet kind of advertises itself as a fleet of officers and yeah. the enlisted are extreme exceptions. Mm. Um you know, maybe they have a cap on how many enlisted people they let in uh because they want the caliber of the um personnel to be as high as possible. I yeah. don't know. I mean, basically the, the gist of the, um, information I read on the non-commissioned members of Starfleet was very small and it basically just said, you know, oh, well, there weren't supposed to be any, but there are. So, (laughs) uh, so it's just a random thing that they made up for TNG, I guess. Yeah, and they didn't really think it through. <laughs> well, and the some of the the notes that I saw on um, uniform designs and things like that came from, like when they designed the uniforms for Wrath of Khan and stuff like that. They you know they had rank and uh, insignia for you know a lot of these non commissioned positions and things like that. So. Um, whether that was just a, a decision made, um, you know, even as almost an aesthetic sort of thing that they started adding in some of these, um, different, uh, ranks and, and positions and jobs and, and things like that. Who knows? 
Well, I would believe that because that's what happened with why they changed the colors of everything. Yeah. Um, was pure aesthetic reasons, but yeah. uh, we'll get to that. Um, yeah, so Starfleet Academy. Um, so I guess um, if you're going to be uh, in Starfleet, the best route is to be an officer <laughs> <laughs> and um, go to the Academy. And um, so it's headquartered in San Francisco along with uh, Starfleet headquarters and um it's it very it's very much like a military um academy that we have today um like the uh air force academy naval academy west point so forth they're four year it's a four-year college basically and by the end of it you are a commissioned officer in starfleet mm-hmm. everybody goes in as an ensign um and so the ranks are basically the same the exact same as in the uh, u.s uh, navy um the academy apparently there are kind of like ranks at the academy too where you have like um first you know you have your first years and Mm. and all this and like in um i think once you get to your fourth year you can be like a captain of a squadron or something like that so it's they kind of have like cadet ranks as well um for enlisted crewmen, let's see. There is something called the uh, Starfleet Technical Services Academy on Mars. Mm-hmm. For enlisted uh, personnel, they can go there for their training, which I guess would be like basic training. Yeah, it seemed but... like it was some sort of almost like a you know six month to a year kind of thing. Um, I did read a little bit on that. But the academy has, you know, different, uh, different tracks. Like, um, you know, they have, you know, engineering, and then let's look. Let's look at the academy majors here. Hmm. Um, let's see. Well, this is not a full list, but um, so you have majors like advanced theoretical physics astrophysics command and control engineering exoarchaeology exobiology probability mechanics xenolinguistics and zoology so you could have gone to the academy yeah there you go <laughs> um that's just what memory alpha has yeah um and uh there if you go to memory beta they have um like a hundred different courses listed, which I'm not going to read through, <laughs> but um, you have to basically be a borderline genius to go yeah. to the <laughs> Academy. <laughs> I know. That's why I think we, we were talking at one point and I said, yeah, I don't think I would have made it into the Academy. <laughs> no, there's no way. Um, well, you know, they had that TNG uh, episode where Wesley had to go through like his, entrance entrance exam mm-hmm. or whatever and um you have to like take an academic exam like a scientific mathematic type focused exam then they test you on your um how well you you face stress or whatever and they mm-hmm. put you in like this nightmare scenario and see how you <laughs> react basically um and you don't know it's when it's coming or whatever they just yeah. kind of yeah so they have that um there are also like squadrons at the academy for the elite cadets so Mm -hmm. um i guess you get invited um it's kind of like a fraternity sort of i guess where you can 
um, there, this lists four squadrons, the Falcon squadron, which I have not heard of mm. before the Nova squadron, which was in TNG, the red squad, which was in deep space nine, third Academy training wing. Um, I haven't heard of that either. So that mm. the Falcon and the third Academy must be in, um, parts of Star Trek. We haven't seen. Yeah. I haven't heard them. Yeah. Um, but we know that uh, Tom Paris uh, was in the Nova <laughs> Squadron from TNG. <laughs> uh, not really. He was he played Nick Locarno. Okay. Um, which was a different character, but yeah. Um, it, then he was in Voyager, like not long after that episode, and so everybody was like, "I remember that there's this big thing. Like, is that is that the same guy <laughs> um, that was in the Nova Squadron?" Yeah. And so. It is the same guy, but not the same guy. So. Same actor, different character. Yeah. Because that's um, never then confusing. There are, yeah. Then there are uh, training ships that cadets can be assigned to, I guess, like during the summer between, you know, years or whatever. Mm. Um, the Enterprise was one of them. And we did see some TNG episodes where cadets or uh, I guess they were cadets. Um, or or potential cadets would come aboard and do like some training. Mm-hmm. Um, we know Wesley came back from the academy, right, and did some training. You know, but of course his he lived on the Enterprise. Yeah, um, he's from the Enterprise. So um, they have a famous test called the Kobayashi Maru mm-hmm. test at the academy, which is supposedly a no win situation that they put you in and just kind of see how you handle the situation um kirk is famous for cheating on that apparently (laughs) yes um i feel like there was something Riker did something weird at the academy too along those lines Mm. um but i can't and this doesn't really mention that um there are like extracurricular activities at the academy like the academy marathon we um were told uh Captain Picard won as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Um he was the only one to do that. They have wrestling and boxing, a decathlon, uh sword fighting, Parisi Squares, the Rigel Cup uh competition. I don't know what that is. Yeah, not um, sure. as a uh pilots, like a pilot oh, uh, okay. a competition or something. Um Oh, that was um, the Nova Squadron led by Nick Locarno won the Rigel Cup. Ah, okay. Uh, so I guess like flight squadrons compete with each other. Gotcha. Um, there's a velocity team. What the heck is that? I think it's, uh, it's a, a sport. Yeah, I was going to say it's a game of some sort. Um, yeah. Um, a phaser, handball and a phaser range. Uh, I think that was played on TNG. It looks like it's on Voyager, though. Also. I was going to say... Janeway I'm, and I'm Seven pr- of Nine are playing it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember that now. Um, I feel like there was something like that on TNG as well. So eh, Most likely. Um, I, I think I read that they are coming out with an Academy series hmm. um, as one of the new Star Trek series. I could be wrong about that, but I've seen that in multiple articles and so forth. So 
uh, you know, they're keeping all of that kind of under wraps. Yeah. So these are uh, rumors, I think. But Yeah. There were definitely books written um, about, you know, some of our, our favorite characters while they were at the Academy. Um, yeah. I have, uh, I used to have some. Yeah. I had a couple of them myself. So kind of young adult fiction. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had Rikers, uh, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I think I had Datas and Troys as well. Hmm. Um, they were just literally, uh, books I found like at a used bookstore. Yeah. I think that's, them, so. that's kind of how I ended up with mine. Cause mine was, I think it was like number two in a series on Worf at the Academy. <laughs> so, you know, it didn't yeah. totally make sense cause it wasn't the first book and I didn't have the rest of them. So but, uh, you know, I do remember. They were kind of cool books um, when I was younger. Um, they would kind of be ridiculous to read now. Yeah. I'm sure. But um, I I remember they had uh, they had Riker, um, you know, since he plays the trombone, they had him in the Starfleet Academy band. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually had him, like, playing a band, and Jordy was, like, their roadie or something. It was... <laughs> Yeah, like Jordy literally was the one that like unpacked all of their equipment and set it up for them. And stuff. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Jordy and uh, Riker were at the academy together, and they were friends apparently, hmm. um, which I think is interesting. Obviously, they weren't super good friends, but yeah, um, they knew each other. Yeah. Um. Uh. So yeah, that basically sums up the academy. Um. I think it's also interesting, speaking of Riker, he graduated graduated eighth in his class at the Academy, which is really high. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, which I guess sort of makes sense. He has kind of a reputation as being like a, a party type guy, hmm. sort of. Um, he likes to have fun, I guess. Right. Um, so uh, seeing him as like this super studious Although he's really good at his job, you know, yeah. too. he's very competent. So I can kind of see it. But And you always get um, the people who are kind of surprised, like, how are you still just a commander? Like, <laughs> well, because I want yeah. to be. <laughs> yeah, and that's interesting, um, which we can, which can lead us into our conversation of just Starfleet. But, mm. um, you know, there, I had a, a website up that I don't have up right now. Um where it kind of explained how many years of service each rank typically has. Right. And um, I think for the commander rank, it was like 13 hmm. was the average. And Riker made it to first officer commander within like six years of graduating wow. the academy, which is ridiculous. Yeah. So, uh, but then Kirk went from cadet to captain. <laughs> so somehow, um, yeah. I don't know. I still don't understand how that happens. Um, <laughs> there's no way. If Starfleet was like a real thing, they, yeah. would, they would not let a cadet just take over a ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a very interesting thing, you know, and of course uh, we're basically referencing the um, the reboot Star Trek movie um, covers all of that and uh I guess you you could kind of see it happening in the moment, but allowing him to continue, you know, is is kind of an interesting uh, 
choice uh, on the part of of Star Trek. I mean, there, I don't know enough about you know the military rules of like field commissions and and all that kind of thing uh, of how. Well, you know, look, there's works. there's no way <laughs> that's like taking a midshipman at the United States yeah. Naval Academy and saying, "Here, you get to command the Enterprise." <laughs> that's like, true. Uh, there's an actual sh- uh, aircraft carrier named Enterprise. There is, um, yes. There, there's no way that would ever happen, <laughs> ever. I just, I just don't. I mean, obviously, it was just for storytelling, right. but I mean, this, it's just a really big leap for even a story yeah like it's just i i just i can't understand that Mm. um at all i don't know yeah well it does make for a fun movie but you know um as a lot of people have pointed out in many many ways movies are not real life (laughs) um all right well let's uh so starfleet um we we don't know how many how many ships there are mm-hmm. uh or star bases um i can imagine there are at least a thousand star bases though yeah like that would be there would be more of those i would feel like well and one thing that i read said that there are 23 sectors so there's at least a sector command in each of those so i mean each one of those is probably a a star base so there's 23 right off the bat um and then you've got you know the different supply depots and um you know ones that would be in in orbit of in important planets and uh, all that sort of stuff um, plus all the the different areas that you know might be on strategic locations on different um, planetoids and all that sort of thing um, then you add on top of that all the the shipyards and training facilities and research facilities and all that sort of thing um, it's easier to believe there are a, a large number of facilities and bases um mm-hmm. you know and then there's all the ones that are you know even outside of just your your general um federation um well not really outside of federation space necessarily um but you know you get deep space nine and all this kind of stuff that uh, right they're not like star starfleet made or yeah. whatever they're alien uh bases basically that have been converted maybe by starfleet or something or or they're being administrated by you know deep space nine is being administrated by starfleet for the bajorans um and that sort of thing so uh yeah there's a lot of facilities that uh, you could just make an exhaustive list yeah uh although i will say in the show or the movies we never have like there's always like starbase 37 or something like that. Mm-hmm. it's not like a high number we don't ever get like starbase 674 <laughs> yeah. you know or something like that um which again would imply that there's not a super high number of them but i you know it's just you you get these implications from the series that things aren't as vast as what you know we're we're seeing in some of this stuff but um well and i don't know like i could 
we do have to remember that there is a chance that some of the information we're seeing is coming from Star Trek Online, which is the the video game that is just a, a massive multiplayer online game. Um, and so because of that, you know, it, it just has to really explode out size wise just to, to have all of the players involved. So uh, there could be mm-hmm. some, um, a little bit of inflation because of that. Well, it could also be that the writers in Star Trek were unrealistic, <laughs> <laughs> just the size of the universe, and they're making it sound way smaller than it actually yeah, is. That's um, true. Uh, you know, the, the perils of trying to figure out a TV show. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Just, it doesn't make sense sometimes. Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know what, we're we're just not going to worry about how many uh, things are. <laughs> it's just, we'll just say there's, there's no good answer. There's lots of them. There's lots. Um, you know, in my head, I'll keep it at 400 starships. Um, <laughs> other people can make it 40,000 if they yeah, want wow. to. Um, it's a fictional universe. Anything goes, I guess. Um but the different, um, there are a limited number of divisions, though, in, in Starfleet. We do know that. Yes. That we do know. We know there's, uh, what are the, <laughs> the divisions? Uh, they are like the command. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have um, operations, and which includes tactical and security right. stuff as well. And then you have the sciences slash medical mm-hmm. Um, as well so uh, all of the officers are pretty much divided into those three divisions right and that's why you see all the different colored uniforms yeah on star trek as well so that was the the easy way um because it's a you know on film and television it's a visual medium it's a, a much easier to put a you know a bold color on someone to tell them apart than it is to put you know some uh, a a patch on their arm or something like that like what we would generally see in um a current day military or something like that to differentiate you know someone's position um so yeah we have starting off with the original series um it introduced the you know the three primary colors um and then so you had command and operations um well command and security and and that sort of thing in gold um sciences in blue and then engineering and uh, you know the technical side in red uh, and then, as Sarah mentioned, there were some changes made, um, largely for aesthetic reasons. Um, <laughs> I'm looking at a chart here that that shows um, the colors um, for each division based on the the year and it's just hurting my brain a little bit <laughs> because all of a sudden it's, yeah, you, you it's get this weird gray in there. And then at another point there's kind of this beigey taupe color. And yeah, I, I kind of gave up on figuring that out. 
They changed the uniforms a lot more than I realized. They <laughs> yeah. Did. Um, I I literally just thought that they went from the original series to the TNG ones and switched some colors mm-hmm. around it. But now there's a lot that went on between the two with the uh, movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. They they completely like went to just like beige colors and uh, yeah. In the the motion picture, you know, you've got. Yeah. I mean, there's even some white in there and. Uh, you know that's very unusual and then you got the um the uniform that kind of evened out all the colors to where you know everybody was in the black and red and then you had accent colors just on the the little um flap inside the you know the closure of the jacket um or on the on the cuffs um and then you you go into you know the the tng uniforms where we come back to the the primary colors but with a lot more black um so yeah it's it's very interesting and then there were quite a few variations on that sort of theme um you know from the the very first couple of seasons of tng um you know on through um even just within TNG itself, it changed a couple of times. Yeah. Um, they went through actually three different uniforms mm. on TNG. Um, they had the the original ones where were like jumpsuits mm-hmm. uh, with no, no collars on them. And uh, those apparently hurt the backs of the male um, actors mm. a lot because they had like stirrups on the bottom uh, right so it like pulled pulled them downwards all day mm. long and it were, was like killing their shoulders basically yeah. um i also read and so that, they um go ahead those ones were were so tight that all of the main actors were wearing like muscle padding <laughs> well they wore muscle padding anyway i feel it warped it oh yeah i warped definitely it. there were certain characters that did but yeah um there was a, a quote i read from will wheaton saying that in those those first um that first iteration of the uniform uniforms like all of the main characters were wearing padding just because of how form-fitting hmm. the uniforms were yeah. Uh, Marina Sirtis likes to say that Gene Roddenberry had a rule that they were wrinkle free ah. in the 24th century. So that's why everything was so tight fitting. They didn't want wrinkles, <laughs> but, um, I mean, do you, have you heard of an iron? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but, or you'd think they'd um, come up or steamer. Yeah, or they'd think they'd come up with some sort of fabric by then. I mean, we have wrinkle free fabrics now, um that don't have to yeah, be well, this was 1987 <laughs> this is true <laughs> um so anyway they had those uniforms then they went to in the in the third season they went to the um the ones with the collars that we're more familiar mm. with but the first few episodes they had those weird i don't know why if you look at them they have like a ton of seams like in the tunic oh, yeah. in the front or whatever mm. it looks bizarre it looks horrible uh and then by like i don't know 10 episodes in they're in the the ones without the seams like that we that they use for the rest of the series um and then in the movies they switched in generations generations is weird (laughs) they had um a mixture of those the uniforms from the show and then the ones from deep space Mm. nine 
um, which had the gray shirt underneath, and that's the one that Voyager. Yeah, I uh, think I've read a something somewhere, or maybe I'm making it up that that was a difference between a shipboard uniform and a station uniform. Um, Well, then why were half the people in the Enterprise wearing them? (laughs) Riker was wearing. Riker was wearing, uh, who's the guy that played Benjamin Sisko? Um, Avery Brooks. Avery Brooks. He was wearing Avery Brooks's uniform oh, really? in that in that movie. That's why his sleeves are rolled up, because they weren't long <laughs> enough. I'm, I'm dead serious. Oh, I believe you. If you, His sleeves are rolled up the entire movie or whatever. It's because the uniform was wow. too short for him. I was trying to um, make that that work in my head, and I'm thinking, wouldn't that be too short? So there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then by first contact, they had moved over to the um, like the full black mm. with the gray shoulders, and then the undershirt was right. the color of their division. And that's the one that they used. Uh, Deep Space Nine moved over to that yeah. one, and uh, that's the one they used for a few years. Um. And now in Picard, they're going to have different uniforms yeah. again. So, which is normal <laughs> yeah. to change the uniforms Pretty much. constantly. So, yep. um, you know, you know it, the I until we started doing this research, it never dawned on me the motion picture. Like the first couple of of original series mm-hmm. movies had that weird. They were wearing those weird costumes, and I it never like dawned on me that those were actual uniforms. Yeah. I just thought that I, they were wearing weird. I don't know why I thought what it was I thought like they were. strange um, casual wear or something. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. It just never registered with me. But I, it never occurred to me. Why are they not wearing like Starfleet uniforms? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Um, but now it makes sense why why it looked so weird yeah. to me. Yeah, um, and. I think I saw something that said, you know, they they wanted to change up the look because this was Star Trek's first foray into a feature film format. So they thought, you know, well, let's make it more individual, more unique. Like Star Wars? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Star Wars, that's the colors that yeah. they wear, isn't yeah. it? Like white and beige and yeah, stuff? Yeah, exactly. So, you know... Um, there, there's always the those little back and forth things um you know there's a a, a quote from jj J. abrams uh got to meet um george lucas and ask you asked him you know how how can i make star trek you know have kind of that that excitement and punch that that star wars has and of course george lucas says add lightsabers um <laughs> but oh, uh yeah. you know of course that wouldn't work <laughs> of course jj was well we're not no, gonna get into no. it but uh, i i kind of take offense to trying to turn star trek into star wars. yes I, I think most star trek fans don't like right that, so. and yeah so you get that that debate between whether those movies are actually star trek or not and you know so well i mean they were fun movies yeah. like i i enjoyed watching them but um they different they definitely lacked like that more deeper substance that star trek usually yeah has to it, yeah so. it was definitely going for a very different feel but you know what it made um a lot of new it introduced star trek to a new generation yeah, of, of for people sure that um are kind of into it now because of those mm. movies um so you know i'm not going to complain <laughs> about it too much um but uh 
apparently they changed those boring um costumes back to like the colored ones because it was yeah. boring <laughs> nobody liked them so um it just looks weird you know for star trek uh, so um but then they went to those um red just like mm-hmm. red tunics they didn't have any they didn't have the multiple colors yeah. it was just like a white shirt under the red well jacket if you look whatever. at some of them um like the the cuffs around the wrist like the shirt underneath um they are different yeah well it doesn't have the same colors it but they are there are different colors um and then also there is a little bit of difference you know how it kind of had the 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 double lapel where you know sometimes they would have it completely closed and the front was all red and then they could yeah. have that piece drop and down. it would be like gray yeah like folded so over. like yeah some of them they're they're very white and some of them there's there's almost a, a mustardy hue to it and stuff so there's a little bit of color variation <laughs> I never paid attention to yeah. that part. I just thought that they had them open because they were yeah, hot. Yeah, I never really you know. understood what that was all about. Why would they be different colors? That doesn't make sense. Well, because I think it was like, different colors yeah. the same way the you know the other uniforms are different colors. Yeah, but why would you make the inside yeah. of your jacket a I, different I don't color? Know. Well, because it's not even fully the inside of the jacket. Because it's only... Like, it's still completely what buttoned up because it's like to have yeah it was very weird i never really understood that design are, are you saying that they're supposed to be folded down like yeah that, like there there's actually you know times where we s- like, like that's part of the uniform is how you wear it is you're supposed to fold it down i like i that. think there's the option like i i never really understood it <laughs> okay so i just thought that they were being casual or whatever i'm not sure um but i think the most important uh uniform change that everybody talks about is the change of colors uh between the the original series and tng they switched the command and the operations colors around um which i read the practical reason was simply because the actors looked better in the, the, color, the colors that that's they ended what up i in. always i much... always kind of guessed i was like i'm trying to picture patrick stewart in yellow and it doesn't go well so that's probably what well, happened yeah. <laughs> yeah and apparently jonathan frakes looked better in the red as well yeah. um although we did get to see him in in the operation yeah gold in second chances and he yeah right it only looked weird that, because but... we're used to seeing him in red yeah yeah uh i think red though is more appropriate for command because it stands yeah. out more you know it's well, like it, the more exactly color. It, it's always been considered like a powerful color and things like that so um mm-hmm. i i can see that and uh yeah and data um with his gold um makeup did not look good in a red uniform and we had, we have seen yes. data in red and uh i have to agree though the gold the gold uniform goes better it with does gold yeah for sure and the red yeah. does so yeah. really the only one that stayed the same was the the blue for the sciences um and yeah. you know th- th- we do get a little bit of change of tone of blue um and yeah, sometimes they're like almost yeah, green it's almost a, in, uh, a teal some... kind of color. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm not sure what 
what prompted that change and, and things like that. I think they settled on that by like season three of TNG. They figured out which blue they yeah. wanted to use. But um, yeah, the first like two seasons, it was, it was all over yeah. the place. Well, and even on into Deep Space Nine, you know, you get when, when they switch to the uniforms with the gray shoulders and the colored undershirt. I mean, that's almost green. Um rather than being being oh, yeah, you're a super right. blue. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. That is a different color. Um I guess it's whoever whatever color the costume designer can get their <laughs> yeah. hands on. Uh uh or whatever look maybe the lighter blue didn't look good with those um, yeah, it colors could be. or something. So there's a an actually a really funny I'll put this in the show notes. Um Marina Sirtis um, tells a really funny costume story, and <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard of it, but it's uh, you know her care. I'm not going to go through it, but her character is notorious for not wearing an actual uniform on right. TNG, and uh, she says that's because um, she looked fat in in the first season. Uh, she for the pilot she wore the um old like like scant um oh yeah type costume but she said that uh the producer said she looked fat or something in it and so they switched her over to a different like the more civilian type clothing Hmm. and um she said that gene roddenberry told her that they did that because he felt that the counselor should not be in a uniform that she would be more approachable if she was wearing civilian clothing and of course that makes sense it Um, does yeah Especially if they have a bunch of civilians on the ship. Um, yeah, for sure. And uh, and then Captain Jellico came on in the sixth season and switched her over, told her basically go put a, on a uniform. And mm-hmm. um, and I think everybody pretty much likes Deanna better in the actual uniform. She looks good in it. So oh yeah. Uh, but anyway, Marina Sirtis has a very funny. Uh, she tell she goes through all of that in a very funny uh, way with a yeah. story, and um, so I'm going to put the link to the video. Um, but uh, yeah, if you just, if you want a good laugh, um, and she also, <laughs> I won't put this in there, but I'll I'll just say her accent story about her accent is I think even funnier. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, she's just funny in general. She is funny. It's a shame that uh, Troy was so they didn't, they didn't use her. Yeah, I understand the character. I mean, she, a Betazoid would be controlled, yeah. but um, you know, they let her have some funny moments in First Contact. Yeah. And uh, I feel like Troy would have been a better character if they let that humor come through some somewhat. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is nice when you can tell that the actor is the character in some ways you know there's a lot of the the actor's personality comes through in the character um so i always like those little touches yeah so i guess uh other than uniforms i guess the ranks um you know i'd mentioned that we we touched on it a little bit about how unrealistic some of the ranking is in this, but um, yeah, pretty much the ranks in Starfleet pretty much just mirror. They're the exact same thing as the, the United States Navy. Um, well, now is correct me if I'm wrong, but 
um, I had heard that there's a difference there with um, captain and commander um, where in, in most rank structures, commander is actually above captain. Um, but I'm not positive on that. No, that's um, not right. That's not right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I think you might be, you might be thinking about the commander of the ship, which could be the captain. Okay. I am looking here at a list of, um, military ranks. Um, so showing the difference between a Navy an army and an air force, um, and where that might be coming from is in the army a or a, in the army a colonel is equivalent to a naval captain and a commander is equivalent to a like a lieutenant colonel in an army is equivalent to a commander um and then in the army they also have the rank of captain but it is equivalent to a naval lieutenant. Yeah. So, so you were thinking about the army. That's 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 yeah. probably where I got that that uh, mix yeah. up. Yeah, it's it's interesting because because of Star Trek, I know the Navy ranks, but yeah. I can't. I don't know the difference uh, between any of those in in any of the other branches. It's like I know what a private is and I know what a general is, but I have no idea right. like what a lieutenant <laughs> or a colonel is in the army. Like I have no concept of that. Yeah. Um, but the, because of Star Trek, I've got the Navy down pat. <laughs> like I yeah. can. I know exactly what thing- they're talking. I did find interesting. You had mentioned earlier that uh, in Star Trek, everyone starts as a, a uh, ensign. Um, the only difference I saw to that was um, people who then go through Starfleet Medical Academy. Um, when they come out of there, um, they come out as Lieutenant Junior Grade. Junior Grade. Well, that would make sense because they had just been through four more years of medical school yeah so Um, basically having the extra schooling and so that's what we see um i'm pretty sure that's what we see mccoy as i know that's that's what we see bashir as um is is definitely lieutenant i know bashir is lieutenant junior grade um you know it's interesting also um there doesn't seem to be a standard crew on on star trek the the ships have different like on on TNG, there's not a science officer. Mm. Um, on the original series, there was. I don't. The Voyager have a science officer. Uh, not specifically, no. But um, Janeway did a lot of that kind of duty. Um, yeah. I guess. Um, oh, um, I'm forgetting her her first name, but uh, Wildman. Um, she was a science officer of, of some level. So there, there was, there were people who did a lot of those duties, but there was not like, oh, you know, Spock is the science officer on Mm -hmm. the original series. So, well, uh, the next generation was the first one that actually had a, a a first officer. Mm. Um, Spock was not a dedicated first officer. Right. He He, he performed those duties. Right. But uh, TNG, um, Gene Roddenberry made that change on TNG where he made this the senior staff more of like a true command staff, like you would get on a ship, on a Navy mm. ship. Um, 
so you have the and that's really you know the way it's it's on these shows you have the senior staff which is generally the the cast of the exactly. show exactly yeah and um so it's you know like seven people or something um each with their different um heads of their different divisions or whatever mm-hmm. um so generally you have your your captain which is the highest rank that you're going to see out in the field typically you're not going to see admirals really um unless they like guest on a on an episode or something but yeah um and then you're going to have your exo your commander your first officer um for the most part um chicote was that on voyager um yes kira was that on deep space nine but she was not a starfleet officer she was um, right a, a bajoran officer that kind of acted as the first officer yeah and that was just the difference of that being a starfleet administrated post um you know for the benefit of the bajorans rather than it being officially a starfleet specific facility yeah and then of course Riker on TNG was the first officer. Um mm-hmm. and then you you generally have like the chief engineers. Um of course O'Brien on Deep Space Nine was enlisted, but he was kind of their chief engineer in a way. There. Yeah, and when I was reading about the non-commissioned personnel, um, it did mention specifically O'Brien, you know, and um the, there were um instances of non-commissioned personnel having privileges above their actual rank um, due to experience and and all that sort of thing so you know situations like o'brien being the the chief engineer on deep space nine but not actually being an officer yeah well i know you can go in 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 enlisted ranks you can essentially be put in the position of an officer mm. um you know you're not an actual commissioned officer but you you get put in charge of things basically yeah. um as you go up the ranks so um so you have your chief engineers you have your chiefs of security generally um each show has that sort of i don't know did voyager have a chief of security yes tuvok was that tuvok okay um Okay, for some reason I thought he was like the science officer on that show. Yeah. Um, no, he was okay. definitely mm-hmm. tactical and also the security. Okay, yeah, chief. tactical, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um Yeah, there's not really a tactical officer. Um I on TNG that's Riker. He's a kind of like the tact he would be the tactical guy. But he's also the first officer. Well, that's one of those weird. Yeah, because I I would think of it more as Worf, but you know he was definitely oh, yeah, security. Well, yeah, and... <laughs> yeah, Worf. Uh, yeah, I suppose Worf um, technically would have filled that role. Um, however, Riker did way more of actual tactical <laughs> like stuff on that show. He's the one that like came up with all of the tactical solutions for yeah. the most part. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, you're right, though. Um, that that he was at the tactical station, right? So he was kind of like the tactical officer. Um, he just wasn't as good at it as Riker. <laughs> I don't think. Um, well, we've already established that Riker is basically a genius. So he is. He's good at everything he does, um, except he overacts sometimes. <laughs> That's <laughs> 
That's just Jonathan Frakes. <laughs> yes. No, nobody can be perfect. No. And um, you have your your chief of medical chief medical officer, um, counselor. There wasn't a counselor on Voyager. Uh, the counselor was, was killed, I believe. Okay. <laughs> really? It, yeah. Was that it was uh, like Kess? No. Was it Kess or was it like a Starfleet officer? It was a Starfleet officer. Like they uh, they lost a lot of people when the caretaker brought them into the Delta Quadrant. So, mm. um, and then, you know, when the Maquis joined them, that kind of supplemented a lot of those gaps. But yeah, they ended up with no counselor. Um, so there are times where the doctor performed that role. Um, and there are also times where we see Tuvok, you know, with his his Vulcan meditation and, and you know, um, just sort of mental stability kind of stepping into that as well. Okay, that's interesting. An EMH and a bulk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Deep Space Nine had a counselor when they brought in the second Dax. Correct. Yeah. Uh, but before that, they didn't. Right. I don't think. Yeah. Um, so TNG is kind of unique in that role. Yeah, of definitely having a main character counselor. Yeah. We apologize to all of you Enterprise fans. We're totally leaving you out of this yeah. conversation because we don't know that show. Yeah, we um, we would rather yeah. let you guys um, talk about that to us because yeah. we will just mangle it for you. <laughs> I don't, uh, from what I know of Enterprise, I don't think there's a counselor position on that. Yeah, I haven't heard of anyone specifically being that. I wouldn't think there would be because there wasn't on the original series and Enterprise's right. pre-original series. I feel like that position didn't exist back then. It, so. it didn't. And in fact, um, I want to say I, I either read somewhere or it was referenced somewhere that, you know, McCoy, you know, talked about how, you know, basically he's it. <laughs> and uh, sometimes I don't know how much help that would be. Hmm. Well, uh, I remember uh, Marina said that Gene Roddenberry created the counselor's uh, job on TNG because mm. he felt that mental mental health would be important. He wanted to bring attention to mental health, yeah. I guess, basically. Yeah, I can Which appreciate is, uh, that. It's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good thing. There, there are a lot of um, weird conversations we could have about the rank structure. Um, for instance... One conversation I saw online that people were having was um, the TNG episode Disaster, where uh, Troy ends up being in charge of the ship, basically, mm. by accident. Like, there's, um, I don't know if you remember that episode, but Picard gets stuck with some kids in the turbo lift. Right. And they, and uh, like Keiko has her baby in 10 Ford, and Warp has to deliver it. Um, and then Riker and Data go off trying to do something, and then Troy gets stuck on the bridge with O'Brien and Roe. Um, <laughs> and then they in O'Brien, Roe basically being Roe tries to start giving orders and, yeah. and everything. And the ship is basically uh, paralyzed, and like nothing's nothing's working. Yeah. And so, and then the warp core containment or something like that's about to. 
um, you know, go away and blow up the ship. Mm. So they're trying to figure out how to get that contained or whatever. And Roe is like freaking out the entire episode and, and <laughs> basically telling Troy that she's stupid, doesn't know what she's doing. Um, and uh, and Troy is like a deer caught in the headlight. She doesn't know anything, basically. Yeah. Um, and so O'Brien and Roe are trying to basically run the situation and then o'brien brings it up that troy is the senior officer mm-hmm. by by your rank being commander or lieutenant commander mm-hmm. um at that point and roe is an ensign and so o'brien says that troy has a seniority mm-hmm. on the bridge but i was reading uh by some navy guys that were saying that that that's not accurate hmm that Roe would actually be the one in charge in that situation because she is in the command line. I was going to say because of her Troy division. Not, yeah. And Troy is, uh, they said that in the Navy, they don't allow medical uh, officers to command ever. Mm. So uh, Troy, I mean, of course this is not the Navy. This is Starfleet. Right. So <laughs> maybe the rules are different. I don't know. Um, but it was an interesting thought, you know, um, about how an ensign could actually be in command over a, a, lieutenant, a lieutenant commander or a commander yeah. um, in a situation like that. You had to at least pass a bridge officer's exam okay. in order to qualify to be in charge, like take command of the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, because we see that in one of the uh, episodes, I think Thino and Self of TNG, Troy approaches Riker and says that she wants to take the exam and so that she can like take a night shift or something okay. on, the, on the bridge. Um, and she brings up the episode disaster specifically um, and says that, you know, she basically felt over her head mm. and that, and she, she needed that. She wanted that qualification or whatever. So, um, so apparently you have to have a specific command qualification in order to um, be eligible to take command hmm. of a ship. Um, Which would make sense. But then again, o- uh, then again O'Brien doesn't <laughs> imply that in the episode Disaster. No. So, <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, I, like I said, Starfleet is not a military organization, so they may not be as strict about that yeah. as, um, as the actual military. So... So basically, um, we, we've just gotten to talking a lot about different characters and, uh, you know, we've brought up some um, of the recurring kind of side characters. We've also gone well into some of our, our beloved main characters. Um, and that's kind of what we were thinking of talking about for our next episode, um, so going into who were our favorite characters, I know we've already mentioned, you know, Sarah is, is quite fond of Riker, you know, I love Janeway, um, but there, obviously we have other favorites as well. Um, we'll talk a little bit about some of the, you know, recurring guest characters, um, you know, even some that are, uh, even more side characters than, you know, uh, some of the ones we've already mentioned, um, as well as, uh, I thought it'd be interesting to bring up some of the, um, uh, actors and other personalities who, um, 
took on characters in Star Trek, you know, um, when they were already famous for other things. Sounds sounds good. Um, I can throw in a couple of stories with that too. Yeah. I just thought of excellent. I have uh, actually worked with LeVar Burton, mm. and um, so that was that was fun. Um, and then uh, I actually, by pure accident, ended up having like an hour long conversation on the back porch of of guest star on one of the TNG episodes. Oh, <laughs> Uh, out here in LA um she answered the door and I immediately recognized her from an episode <laughs> and I was like oh wait did, aren't you in that <laughs> uh so we, we ended up talking for a while but I, I'll talk I, I have to find her um actually because mm. I, I don't know her name now that was a long it was a while back but um anyway yeah those will be some interesting stories to, to bring up with that um and and so our question for you guys is going to be the obvious. Uh, what is your favorite character on Star Trek? Mm. Um, let us know about that. It'll be interesting to um, see if there are any characters that stand out above the others. Yeah. If there um, are certain ones that are just major fan favorites. And it'll be interesting to see which ones those are from the standpoint of, is it maybe something about the actor that really draws affection or is it the the way the character's written something about their backstory you know so it's there's lots of uh little nuances you can draw from that information yeah so don't just um don't just say my favorite character is data or whatever um give us your favorite character and then yeah. why why is that why is it your favorite character yeah. Uh, so how do they let us know? Uh, so we are going to be available on uh, Twitter. Uh, we are at Tribbles Podcast. Uh, on Facebook, we are the Tribbles and Transporters page. And then on Instagram, you can find us at uh, Tribbles and Transporters Podcast. And as always, there is our uh, email, um, tribblesandtransporters at gmail.com. Yeah. So anyway, thanks for listening, guys. We hope we didn't bore you <laughs> too much um, in this episode. Uh, always feel free to write in and correct us on our Absolutely. mistakes. Um, I know we I don't take offense to it. No, I know for certain. And I've told certain things to Sarah that I'm like, I totally realized I said something so dumb. <laughs> Um, this entire podcast might sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just might. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, give us your two cents. Uh, I feel like this is going to be somewhat of a controversial uh, discussion because everybody's going to have their opinion on, on this stuff. So, yeah, um, especially on how many ships there are, I feel like that's going to be all over the place. Um, <laughs> I'm really interested though in seeing how many like how off I am from everybody else watching mm. Star Trek. Like do do the majority of people actually think there are thousands of ships or are there people out there like me who think there there are a few hundred? Um I'm I I have a feeling I'm in the minority <laughs> on this for some reason. Uh just from the research that we did. But yeah. Uh anyway, um we're looking forward to hearing you guys thanks for listening and tune in for our next episode subscribe rate us on uh itunes or wherever you listen please because that gets us up in the um, search engine so as always we appreciate each and every one of you listening 
Yes, I echo what Aaron said. Thanks, guys, so much. We appreciate you, and we will see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.